uh, a global pandemic, war in Europe, nuclear threat, political turbulence, heat waves, wildfires, rampant inflation. It's very easy at the moment, isn't it, to look at the headlines and feel like it's the end of the world, isn't it? And it's very easy to watch the headlines and watch the news and be worried about it, isn't it? Uh, Of course, it's always been like this, of course, hasn't it? Uh, Imagine being a Christian at the end of the Great War, 1914 to 1918, and you've lived through what felt like the end of the world. And then there's the Spanish flu. Surely this is the end of the world, everyone thinks. Or think maybe 500 years ago, the great reformer Martin Luther famously uh, bashed his 95 theses into, uh, what was it, Wittenberg Cathedral or something. And uh, people started looking at the Bible again. And the church and the state and all of this starts getting overturned. And Martin Luther said he thought it was the end of the world. Or, or, Or think maybe roughly 2,000 years ago. Some 70 years after Jesus rose from the dead, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And the Roman Empire fell apart. Rome fell apart. You might have felt just then like it was the end of the world too, mightn't you? It's no surprise today that we often feel like it's the end of the world. After all, you might remember that Jesus has taught that since he was raised and ascended to heaven, and until he comes again, These are the last days. We are living in the end time. So it's no surprise that we think it's near sometimes. I suppose the bigger question isn't so much, is the return of Christ near? The bigger question is, am I ready for it? And will it be good for me? And should I be worried about it? Those might be bigger questions for us this morning. Thinking about the headlines, thinking about the way things are, might make you worried. Well, I'm glad to say this morning that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have a passage of the Bible that comes to us and brings us comfort and encouragement. Okay, look at just how the passage we had read ends. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So, friends, whatever happens this morning... We are to be comforted and encouraged. And if you come away from this morning and you think I'm not comforted, then chances are I've done a bad job and sorry for that. But um, that's what we're looking for this morning. This is a passage that brings us comfort and encouragement. Because here in the church in Thessalonica, they were a young church. They were on all accounts a, a, a strong church, but they were worried about stuff. There was some stuff they hadn't quite worked out in their heads. They hadn't worked out what happened to dead Christians when the Lord Jesus returned. How were they going to be involved? And we looked at that last week. And they can't work out in their heads what they should think about the timing of Christ's return. So they're worried about it. Maybe they, like us, were looking at the headlines thinking, it must be pretty near. Ah! (laughs) Maybe they felt like that. Well, if that's you... This morning we have a passage that tells us, it tells us everything we need to know about the end of the world. That's going to be point number one this morning, everything we need to know about the end of the world. It's also going to tell us, number two, all we need to do about the end of the world. And thirdly, it's going to tell us, encourage each other. Okay, 
So let's look at those points in turn in a message that I'm calling this morning, the essential guide to the end of the world. So firstly, look in this passage. I think we see all you need to know about the end of the world, verses 1 to 5. Look with me at verse 1. Paul writes to this church, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that... Paul writes to this church about the times and the seasons, the end times. And he says, you're fully aware of everything you need to be aware of. If this church was all to sit an exam, and um, churches don't normally do that, do they sit an exam? I'm not going to make you guys sit an exam this morning. But um, if the church in Thessalonica were to sit an exam on end times theology, this church would get an A star. Apparently that doesn't exist anymore. They would get a grade nine. Is that right? Someone nod at me who knows about that, grade nine, yeah? This church would get a grade nine. They would get a first-class honours with distinction, right? It's, it's, it's there in verse one, isn't it? They have it all. They don't need any more told to them on this subject. Their knowledge is sufficient. It seems to be comprehensive of all that's required. And it seems to be exhaustive. They don't need anything else. Paul says, you've got all you need to know about Christ's return and the end of the world. So let me say at the outset, look, if you find it bewildering and confusing when people start talking about end times and you feel like you get lost really quickly, well, look, this passage is clarifying. I think this passage is like a little oasis in the desert for us. As we hear this passage, it should be like a nice gust of fresh air, okay? Have a look at this. Why is this church so good on these end times matters? Look at verse 2. I don't need to write to you about this, guys. You've got it sorted. Why? For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, the Thessalonians know that Jesus' return will be a surprise. How does the thief uh, come in the night? The thief wants to come at the hour when they're not expected, right? They want to come when um, the windows have been left open. When the front door has not been double locked, because that's a real, that's a real pain, isn't it? They want to come when no one's home. And Paul says here, you, you know that Jesus' coming is a little bit like that. It'll be a surprise. It will catch everyone out. And more so than the normal surprise, the robber doesn't know the hour of surprise, do they? They sort of do their best guess. At, here's, here's a time when I can do it and no one will interrupt me. But God, of course, need not guess the hour of surprise. He knows it. He's made the world. He sustains and controls all things. Guys, if we think, out, think this morning that we can work out the hour of the Lord's return, we are gravely mistaken. For the Lord is coming when we will not expect it. It will be a surprise. It will surprise you even if you think you've got this sussed, right? And this, friends, is why the Thessalonians have an A star. Because they know Christ's return will be a surprise, they know everything it's possible to know. There isn't more to know. It's not like they need to find something else out to get ready. No, They've got it all. And so the passage explains more. Look with me at verse 3. The day of the Lord will come 
It really will be a surprise. Why? Verse 3, it'll come while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You see, the Lord Jesus' return really will be a surprise. Jesus' return will come while people are saying peace and security. Um, Apparently, this is a bit of Roman propaganda from the time. If you'd seen monuments or statues, they would often have things about Rome, and it would say, there is peace and security. And if you wanted to calm everyone down in a crisis, you would say, guys, there is peace and security in Rome. There is nothing to be afraid of. It's kind of like today when people say, yeah, but... You know, the West has won and democracy is great and capitalism works and atheism and all this is all be fine and it'll go on forever. It's kind of like that. There's not going to be a judgment. Say people. They assume there's not going to be a judgment. But guess what? Jesus is coming at just that point when people are believing the propaganda. Jesus will come. And the passage says Jesus will come with this, there'll be this kind of destructive force of the day, like labour pains on a pregnant woman. Now this is uh, above my pay grade, so forgive me for talking on this topic. But I I think the imagery of pregnancy is used in different ways in the Bible. I think what's going on here is that, of course, a woman knows when you're pregnant, you know you're, you're going to have a baby. But you don't know exactly when, do you? So when the labour pains begin... It's like, oh yeah, three o'clock on Sunday night. I thought, no, it it surprises you. It surprises you. And then when it comes, the result is inevitable. That's how Jesus' return will be. It really will be a surprise. Even if you go along with everyone else that there isn't going to be a judgment, well, guess what? Jesus is going to come. It's going to surprise you and it'll be inevitable. Now, hang on a minute, you say, Ollie, fine, okay. But I thought this truth was supposed to be comforting. And encouraging. This all sounds terrifying. Robbers, thieves in the night, labour pains, grief. It sounds terrible. Well, it sounds terrifying, doesn't it? But it, it shouldn't be for us. See, who are those who say peace and security? Who are those who face the judgment? Who are those who are going to be overwhelmed by the day of the Lord? Well, it's those who say... There is no God. Jesus is a joke. Judgment, not happening. It's those who oppose the Lord. They'll be overwhelmed by the day of judgment because it'll catch them out. Now you go, yes, still not comforting, Ollie, still not comforting. Um, The church in Thessalonica were opposed. And so what does this passage tell them? It tells them those who oppose you, those enemies, won't always rule the day. They won't. Don't worry, their judgment is, is coming. But you know, this is actually, um, this actually gives us comfort and hope by way of contrast. Because you see, while those who oppose God and say there's no judgment are going to be overwhelmed, we don't need to be. We don't need to be because we know about the day of the Lord. So it can't surprise us. We don't need to be Overwhelmed by it. We know it's coming. Do you see that? Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. 
Paul says, look, because you know it's a surprise, you don't have to be surprised by it. You'll be ready for it. You don't need to be worried about it. You don't need to be anxious and stressed. You're children of the light. Children of the day. A few years ago, me and some mates from Bible College attempted what's called the Three Peaks Challenge. Um, You attempt to climb the three highest peaks in the UK in less than 24 hours. You do Ben Nevis in Scotland first, Scarfell Pike, and then Snowdon. Well, us and our team were going up Ben Nevis. And as we were going up, we met a team coming down. They'd started their challenge before us. So we said, oh, I'll see you in the Lake District. We got to Lake District. Our team went up, came down, haven't seen. Where are these guys? We thought we'd see them here. Turns out, in the dark, this other team had driven and parked in the wrong car park, had climbed the wrong mountain. And so we met them at Scarfell Pike, with them having now to climb Scarfell Pike. (laughs) Because they just got totally lost in the dark. And do you see the point here? Us today, here in this room, we are not in the dark. This day need not catch us out. We know it's coming. We're in the light. I think that should be a big sigh of relief, shouldn't it? Big breathe out. Wonderful. But you know, at this point, I think there's even more. Because he says, he says, of, he says of us, verse 5, you're all children of light, children of the day. Now, he's making a contrast there. You're of the day, not of the, the night in the darkness, of course. He's, he's making that point. But I think, and we'll see more of this in verse 8 and 9, he means to say even more of this. He's hinting at more. We are children of the day. You see, this day that is coming is not uh, a sort of, oh, it's a day coming. It's our day. It is a day for the church. I love the thought that uh, when God made the world, he made day and night first, didn't he? And then he filled day and night with, with beauty and creation and wonder. Of course, that all ended up in a world of rebellion and death. The, day, the first days have been full of darkness, haven't they? But coming is a day that will hold a new creation, a new day, a day when death dies, a day when evil ends, where the final note is rescue and joy. And Paul is saying we are children of that day. It's not just we're in the light, we know it's coming, but it's for us. It's the new day to which we belong. We know Jesus is coming. We know we are meant for more. And so we need not be afraid of the coming day. For it is ours. And we know everything we need to know about it. It's going to be a surprise. That's all we need to know. And I love the way this passage speaks. And it says to this church, you're an A-star church. But actually that fact is pretty much true of almost every Christian we meet. So if I, if I chat to someone who's just become a Christian, I say to them, do you know when Jesus is coming again? Chances are they will probably say to me, no, Ollie, I do not know when Jesus is coming again. But God knows. Now, what does that make that person? It makes them a first class honours in end times theology. They know absolutely everything they need to know about the end of the world. Do not panic that you don't know enough about it. You already all know enough about it. <laughs> The challenge is, we need to live it out. 
We need to live as if the Lord is coming and it is a surprise. Now, for some of us, we'll be frustrated uh, with this. I know across the church globally, there are many theories about end times. And of course, as they say of the making of many books, there is no end. We shouldn't be surprised by that. I think I would like to say, though, on this subject that sometimes the church has been guilty of making such a big thing out of end times theology that it's almost implied that Christians need to achieve some extra special knowledge about it, or otherwise you're not really there yet as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying anyone's particularly guilty of that here and now, but what I do want to say is, do you you notice how that's cast out by this passage? Do you notice how there isn't any special secret knowledge about the end times that everyone needs to get? (coughs) Otherwise, verse 1 of this passage isn't true. (laughs) And it is true. They are A-star students. They know everything they need to know. And so let me say, if you're here this morning, you're frustrated about the fact that the church doesn't talk about the end times enough. Well, let me say our frustration shouldn't really be so much about a lack of knowledge about it. Our frustration should be that we're not living it out enough. Let's rechannel our frustrations if that's us. Because as, uh, as one preacher I heard recently said on, on this Bible passage, This passage very clearly teaches us that when is not as important as ready. When is not as important as ready. So, point number one, all you need to know about Christ's return and the end of the world. Point number two, let's channel our frustrations. Here's all you need to do about the end of the world in verses six to ten. All you need to do about the end of the world. Paul clearly thinks he doesn't need to say much more to this church. They know what they need to know. But he has got encouragements for them as to what they're to do. It's a surprise. So, begins verse 6. Here comes what you need to know. So, here's what you need to do, rather. And he states it both negatively and positively, doesn't he? Verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us, instead, or positively, Let's keep awake and be sober. Now, what's that all about? Should Christians just never fall asleep because the Lord might return? Well, no, we're creatures. We're limited. We need sleep. God made night and day like that. Uh, that can't be right. But it's a picture, isn't it? It's, it's a metaphor. It's a picture. And I think as we look at seven and, verses 7 and 8, it helps us understand it better. Don't sleep. Keep awake. Be sober. 4, verse 7. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul says, look, there's some in this world who are living asleep. They're believing the propaganda that there is no judgment, that it's peace and security, that this world just goes on and there will be no intervention from God. And so they, as it were, sleep because they don't think there's going to be a morning. They just happily sleep on. The night will just keep going. Or to use the other metaphor in the passage, they get drunk, as it were, because there's not going to be a tomorrow of judgment. I don't need to worry about having a headache the next morning. I can get drunk because night carries on. That's the image, isn't it? Tomorrow doesn't matter. There ain't going to be a tomorrow. Doesn't matter. 
could do whatever I want, however I want. There's not going to be a new morning of judgment. To be asleep is to be settled about this world being settled, as if a day of judgment will never come. So the promise is he's coming, isn't it? The Lord Jesus is returning. And so Paul says, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't live life as if totally inebriated by this world's desires and this world's stuff. Don't live life as if you're passed out on the sofa and nothing's ever going to change. Instead, be awake. Be sober. Now you think, be sober. Does this mean that Christians should just be serious and boring all the time? No, I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of comedy and fun in the Bible. And I think Christians should have the most and best fun in all the world. I I think Christians can have fun that isn't cruel or bullying. I think we can have deep laughter from the heart, real joy, real fun, from the God who made us to laugh. (laughs) In fact, I think, I said it this morning, uh, I I think Christians should be the best practical jokers in all the world because we want to be creative like our creator God. So let me just encourage that to you. Don't take that personally, of course. That's a personal conviction of mine. Um, this is not about being sober and boring is it? no to be awake means to be living aware that God's going to wrap up history one day that Jesus is going to come to take out the trash and make the world anew that's what's coming I'm going to live awake to that it's true, it's coming to be sober means not to be intoxicated with this world's desires and stuff to not let other substances and things and wants to have control over my life But to let Jesus have the wheel. No, I want to be sober and aware and ready. I don't want anything else touching the wheel. Because I'm on a mission, serving and waiting for my king to return and call me home. In the passage, it calls it putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Like putting a shield um, over my heart. My heart will have faith. It will trust in Jesus. My heart will love others. And on my head, a helmet of hope. What will be going on in my heart? Faith in Jesus, love for others. What's going on in my head? A hope. A hope that Jesus is coming to sweep me up and save me on the last day and carry me home. Here's all we need to know. Uh, Here's all we need to do for the end of the world. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Live life ready. Keep the main thing the main thing. Go and make disciples of the Lord Jesus. And don't be distracted. A few years ago, I was listening to um, a pastor who'd been in ministry for 20 years. He was speaking to a room of pastors in training. And he he told the room of uh, potential future pastors. uh, He said, uh, for those 20 years of ministry, I rarely had a glass of wine. Uh, if, if I had three glasses of wine in those 20 years, I'd be very surprised. I sat there and scratched my head and thought, really? That's a shame, isn't it? Wine's a wonderful gift of God. That's, what's that all about? But he explained that his personal conscience was that as a pastor, he wanted to be available in a pastoral emergency. So he didn't want to have wine in his bloodstream because he always wanted to be ready. To, to go and be there. If someone called, he wanted nothing to stop him getting in the car and going to see someone in an emergency, in an hour of need. Now, you might say the church shouldn't be a one-man band, and I'd agree with you. 
You might say that in an emergency, all the church should rally around with someone in need, and I would agree with you. You might say wine is a good gift that God meant us to enjoy, and it shouldn't be totally neglected for the odd emergency, and I think I'll probably agree with you there. But that story left a mark on me. Am I living prepared and ready for my Lord to come? I think it's a bit like a, a Scottish preacher I used to hear. At university, you used to have the same preachers come and speak at the Christian Union. They'd come round and round again and again. And I remember this short Scottish man who came every year, brilliant moustache, best moustache ever. And I think he said this every time he, he came. He said, I, I sit on my knees by the window every day. I wake up in the morning and I pray in a Scottish accent, Lord, is it today? Are you coming today? It's his prayer. Every morning. Now he's a sober Scot, isn't he? He's awake. He's living ready, isn't he? Is that how you wake up? Now you say, Ollie, this all sounds very well and good, but how might I know if I've fallen asleep? How will I know if I'm ready or not? Well, ask yourself this. How often do you think of the return of Christ? How often do you think of it? Because the chances are, if we're not thinking of it very often, we may not be living prepared. Let me ask you how much of your time is spent thinking about houses and accommodation. Um, Are you really upset when your DIY project fails? Was that all important to you? As if this world and this place where I live is forever. How do your daydreams go? Is it that holiday, those aspirations? Because now is the only thing that counts. Or how about this? Do you find yourself often letting those little sins just pass you by? Because, truth be told, I don't know that a judgment is coming. Really. A little bit of speeding. A little bit of lust. A little bit of greed. And that could be a sign. But you've fallen asleep. Or what about this? Does the return of Christ frighten you? The thought that the Lord Jesus could return, it bothers you. Let me say if it does, you're not ready for the return of the king. Because he isn't returning to judge his people, but to sweep them up and to carry them home. He's coming to rescue us. You see, and if you've got this idea that you need to be frightened about it, well, it turns out you've got, you've got it all the wrong way around. You might have fallen asleep. What would it mean for us to live a sober life? What would it mean to be awake? Well, I think it would mean reading our Bibles. Hearing the teaching of the scriptures on the return of our king regularly. I think it would mean that our prayers would be different. That we'd be praying like the Lord's prayer does. Lord, may your kingdom come. Praying about the Lord's concerns first because he's coming. I think it means longing for that return. Because we want him to come, because we know what it means. I think it means a care and a concern over my decisions and actions. Today could be the last day. Am I making the most of the time? I think it might mean having a watchful check of my heart and my accountability. Have I, maybe you have a friend who you can ask some personal questions to in the life of the church. Maybe you have someone who you can just say to you, look, does it look like I've forgotten that Christ is coming? Can you, can you ask me? Keep tabs on me. Am I remembering he's coming soon? 
I think living awake means a church culture that is living in the last days where we remind each other, Jesus is coming. We've got a job to do. This is the day of grace. There's work to be done. Let's not be caught napping. Let's be busy for our Lord and Saviour, ready for him. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Now listen, why should we do all this? Please look at verses 9 and 10. What does Paul say here? Why do this? Why be sober? Why be awake? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Do you see what that verse is saying? If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, the future day, on the future day, you are not destined for wrath and judgment. You are destined for what? To obtain salvation. The day that is coming is when your saviour comes to call your name. To take you to be with himself. That's why we want to be ready. He's the one who loved us and gave his life for us. So that he could have us. And he's going to. Are you ready? He comes not in wrath but to save you. And he means for us to long for it as much as he does. And this passage says, Jesus Christ lived and died for you. He lived and died for you such that today, if you're awake, if you're living aware of the, of the return of Christ, well, the Lord Jesus means for you to live with him. And if you're here this morning and you're asleep, as it were, you're not living as if Jesus' return could be soon. Well, this word comes to you as challenge and encouragement, doesn't it? Get ready. He's coming for you. Here in this passage, we find all you need to know about the end of the world. It'll be a surprise. We find all you need to do about the end of the world. Live ready. Now, last thing, very briefly. Verse 11. What's our passage say? It says, so encourage each other. Therefore, encourage each other, says verse 11, and build one another up just as you are doing. This passage is supposed to be fuel, rocket fuel. For Christian, This is to power us up. This is to comfort us. This is to strengthen us. The truths in this passage are going to need to be shared. So let's find out in our growth groups over coffee. How do we feel about current affairs? How do we feel about the state of the world? Are we worried about it? How do we feel about the prospect of the Lord Jesus' return? And when we worry and when we get anxious, let's encourage each other with these words. Again, it's the unavoidable main application of this passage. Encourage each other with these words. Are you ready to do it? Because here we have a church that has a a grade nine on its end times knowledge. But But they've been worried. But this passage comes to them and says, you've got nothing to fear. All you need to do is get ready and prepared Let me close by reminding us what this passage says of us. We are children of light. We are children of the day waiting to be rescued. The day that is coming is for those who trusted in Jesus. And all we're to do is to live ready for that day. Let's remind each other of that truth. Let's live it out. Amen. Let's pray, shall we?
Loving Father, we thank you for this passage that means to be a comfort to Christians who are worried. We thank you for how this passage not only comforts us, but also challenges us. Father, we pray for us as a church family that we might be a church that that shares the truth of this passage, that shares what it means to be children of light, shares what it means for us to be children of the day that is coming. We might spur one another on, not by fear, but by the future hope of a saviour who has won our salvation at the cross and at the empty tomb. We praise you, Lord Jesus, this morning that because of you, we have absolutely nothing to fear. And out of the joy of what you've done for us, we have all to live for. So help us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.